Welcome to E-Commerce Insights, trends, tips, and lessons learned, sponsored by Atmosol, a leading e-commerce technology company based in Chandler, Arizona, and Dallas, Texas. Each month, we talk to e-commerce entrepreneurs, vendors, and experts who share their expertise, experiences, and thoughts about navigating the ever-changing world of e-commerce. Ready to get started? So are we. Join host Ram Mohan and co-host Honey Olson with today's guests. Hi, and welcome to e-commerce insights. Instability, loss of competitive advantage, increased tech debt, failure to meet business goals. Those are just a few of the things that could happen if mistakes are made during your e-commerce build. Now, while it can be exciting to do a new build, it can also be daunting. So if you're not familiar with the process, mistakes can be made. Unfortunately, many business owners make those mistakes when building their e-commerce site, and it can cost them time and money. Whether you're just getting started or already in the process of creating your store, Our discussion today, hopefully, will help you ensure that you don't make any costly mistakes. Welcome, Tom Strickland, Jorge Garcia, Ron Mohan to the discussion, and let's spread some news. All right. Uh, So let's start with uh, just telling us a little bit about yourselves, your background, and uh, then we can get into the conversation of helping business owners. We'll start with you, Tom. I'm Tom Strickland. I'm the solution engineer with Atmosol, and I have a development background and have moved into kind of understanding all layers of the technological side of uh, running an e-commerce website. Jorge? Hi. Hello, my name is Jorge Garcia, and uh, I'm a UI, UX, and front-end developer at Atmosol. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about e-commerce and uh, UX. Okay, and uh, Ram? Uh, Ram Mohan. I'm the CEO of Atmosol, about 25 years in technology, Um, various aspects. I've done technology, I've been consulting, and I run a business now. So, um, uh, and done e commerce and SaaS software primarily in my 25 years. So, that's my profile. Before we get into problems and mistakes, you know, that always concern people, let's talk a little bit about why people should have an e commerce site. What's important about having an e commerce site? Um, (laughs) if you if you're selling things uh how are you how do you not have a site basically at this point i mean unfortunately the past few years experience we've learned that sometimes we you know you have no other choice than to buy things online and so i think we live in a world now where you know we we ought to be prepared and moreover i think people have acclimated to business is having an online presence. And if your main business is selling products, then your online presence should be doing that. So it's in a lot of ways, it's by default, I think the first face that most businesses have. Yeah, I, I tend to believe that one of the first things that you can do with any any business is to start building their digital branding. Um, I think it's a, a much uh, simpler step to take. Uh, there's a lot of platforms and a lot of services available to help uh, new business owners set up uh, online stores. Um, but it also gives you an opportunity uh, as a business owner to start putting a little bit more uh, time into building a digital brand uh, and, of course, starting to acclimate yourself to using customer data, user data, and uh, delving a little bit into digital marketing. And, and traditional advantages of you know a, a local store, if you have a physical store, it's based on food traffic, based on people who are there, the population of the city, etc., Whereas e-commerce gives you a much larger audience to, to reach out to. I mean, you might be a store in Phoenix or, or Dallas, but I mean, just talking about people that are here. But you, now your audience is you know, nationwide or even worldwide, depending you know, on how far you can ship and, and, and send the items. And so that's, that's one of the biggest you know, advantages that, that, that can help stores really scale, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're a store in, in, in a mall in Phoenix or whatever, and now you're like, Everywhere. So that's the other big advantage. Jorge, you mentioned that there's a lot of platforms out there for business owners to build their e-commerce sites. So can someone just build their site themselves? I mean, do they really need a developer, designer, consultant? Generally speaking, I think most people that start getting into building a new business are more focused on developing the business, developing their brand, and um, trying to get their business off the ground. Although they can start looking into building a website themselves or building an e-commerce solution themselves, there is quite a bit of overhead. 
And as a result, I, I do generally recommend that they speak to the UX experts and just visual merchandising experts. And then, of course, web developers to help them uh, offset some of the work that it would take to get a store off the ground. While there is platforms that are uh, relatively straightforward in putting together websites and putting together stores and handling a lot of the uh, features that you would need to set up for an online shop, um, I think it's generally wise to to you know look into getting some consultation in regards to getting those set up. Yeah, I mean, you know, I also want to say that some people, like we've seen customers who initially started off on their own store. I mean, where they were not overly concerned about whether this is the best experience, whether this is the best features, whether you know, am I able to sell products the way I want? Can I bundle them? They were not. They just wanted something up and running to 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 see how it goes. At that point, they could. I mean, they could just build something, you know, slap it together, see what you know. Especially if you're if you're trying out some marketing to see how many people are even coming to our site, right? I mean, forget about converting them or them buying, but at least even even from an audience perspective, you can build it. But you will soon reach a point where you know you're hurting because you're not the expert in certain things, unless you are. But uh, most people are not an expert. Have, don't have expectation in, for example, user experience on. What is the journey of the customer, and what is the um, you know what are the things you can change that can you know things like eyeball tracking? Where is your button? Most people don't know that. I mean, uh, it's very difficult to do it, and it's a specialized science. So, and also technology. Right? I want to do something. Well, this platform allows this, or this is what's possible, and, and what else is possible. So, the, you will reach a point where, where in your business where you need help, right? And unless you are you have a team of your own. So. As long as expectations are, are realistic, that it's just a very, you know, essentially minimum viable product. If I'm a merchant that has simple needs, my product catalog is not very complex, I'm going to be handling, you know, fulfillment myself, going down and grabbing flat rate boxes from the post office or something like that, then yeah, you, you probably can get by with standing up a Shopify store on your own for, for a little bit. But I think we see that merchants very quickly get big dreamy ideas in their head of what they want to have with their online presence. And I think that if that's the case where if they're going on their own, then they're going to run into problems fairly quickly. Um, and I think that you had said, you know, does it require a designer, developer, or consultant? And I think that those are kind of somewhat different answers. I was actually looking through the orders that I've placed as a customer uh, in the shop app, which means I've, you know, it's various different merchants that have gone to their websites and bought things. And uh, I was looking at that and, and realizing, well, most of them were pretty light on design and uh, it looks like they were running fairly stock Shopify stores. So they might be getting by without actually having designer development going on. Mm -hmm. But I imagine that they still at very least have a consultant because they are sort of in very niche categories. Either they have very strong word of mouth they have a very strong existing brand outside of e-commerce. Mm -hmm. So like maybe, you know, band merchandise or things like that. Um, or they're really aggressive on social media marketing and advertising. And so like by the time you are on their site, you're basically ready to hit the add to cart button already. Right. And so I think in that in that sense, you're you're offloading a lot of what you might get out of the website and you're using it mostly just for the add to cart process. Um, but if that's the case, then you definitely need more consultant, uh, more consultants on the digital marketing side. I think the other thing is too, is all of those merchants, and I think in general, merchants have the most success when your products are very enticing. You know, mm -hmm. like if you can see a product from an ad and immediately know you want that, you don't want to hunt around on the website for anything else. You're just going to click right into it and go to the cart. Then that makes it uh, that makes it a lot easier. But the reality is, is that you know a lot of merchants can't control how enticing their products are. So, um, so along those so. lines, let's 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 get into products. So, what are some of the common mistakes that merchants make on their stores when it comes to their product and their product data? On the back end, on the on the product data, first and foremost, and we touched we talked about this a little bit last month too, but making sure that you're actually selling products. A lot of times we talk to merchants that want to start an e-commerce store, but really they're selling services and ones that don't necessarily translate well to a, um, a self-serve shopping cart experience. Um, so if you're buying you know, shutters for, your, uh, for your, your house or something like that, you can't just you know, go buy those off the shelf or buy those off of you know, a digital storefront. 
and expect them to work. There's a lot more involved with that and they're not based on SKUs. So I think making sure that you're actually selling products and not selling something else is a good first step. The other one is to think, you know, think about how you manage your products and is that going to be something that works online? Mm-hmm. You know, I know that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people that maybe, you know, sell on Etsy or just sell to friends by word of mouth or whatever. And maybe they're crafting, handcrafting their own things or something. They're not worried about SKUs or quantities or stock or anything like that. But because of what Rom said about how e-commerce can scale so much more quickly, then merchants will very quickly run into issues if they have not worked out what those kinks are as far as as far as how they're managing their their product inventory. Okay, and on the front end, or hey, I mean, what what mistakes could be made that potentially would lose business? Oh, absolutely, and uh, and this is more to the point. Uh, you know, covering some of what Tom was saying, there's a lot of instances where the way a client may set up their inventory, uh, set up their categories, can lead to a little bit of confusion. Um, some of the uh, really interesting aspects of existing e-commerce platforms uh, that make things very helpful is that there's a lot of uh, pre-existing user flows and uh, interaction models that many of these platforms share. So you can set something up relatively quickly and users can uh, flow through product searching, product page uh, interactions and adding to cart. All of this stuff, these behaviors already exist within uh, the the user experience of e-commerce. So those things tend to work out really well. Um, one of the things that can really cause an issue with that, though, is how you, uh, you how you use the inventory and how you're setting up your categories. If a user is having a hard time finding something, if a user is running into a scenario where they have uh, an overabundance of, of options, uh, you can very quickly start creating scenarios where you're going to have a lot of card abandonment, you're going to have issues uh, finding products. And so those are kind of some of the things I tend to see new e-commerce installation users running into, uh, just having a, a misunderstanding or just kind of going through the growing pains of setting up your inventory in a way that's palatable for users. And, and product data, when you talk about product data, we should also think about the attributes, right? Because if you if you think about you know discovery, product discovery, which is a user coming and searching for a product, mm-hmm. uh, one of the bigger things that I've seen, at least from consulting with companies, is what are the attributes you need to have? What are the different ways a user could search for something? And you know, most e-commerce platforms won't show a product unless you know that that's an attribute or that's part of the description or something like that, um, or it's it's set up as you know, some sort of an extension. Right. So when you talk about product data. That's also very important to see that you have somebody who has experience with that with that product itself or with with the merchandising of the product who can come back and say, okay, what are the things I need to relate this product to that my customers would search with, which is not very relevant when you're in a physical store, right? Because you can see it, you know what it is. No, there's no description to be written there. There's nothing attached to it that says, hey, this one is, you know, related to shoes or related to this. It's evident. There's a a department. There's, There's something that guides you there. And that's something that when you're starting new that, you know, people from a business perspective, do you have that that person who's who's assigned to do that kind of stuff? And as you bring in more products, uh, who is doing the attributes? Who's making sure the search relevancy is there? Uh, all of that stuff. That that's also part of product data. I think uh, that, that from a business perspective should should you know be thought about. When you say attributes, you know, for someone new that's you know coming into ecom that may not know all of the terms yet, what exactly is an attribute? Well, I mean, I think Tom can speak more more to it than me. I mean, I'm coming from more of a technology uh, from what I know. I mean, essentially, when you have a product, you set up some properties, attributes, whatever you want to call it, in the system so that, you know, if I come in and search for, I don't know, small size shoes, right? So there is a small size there. You know, if if it shows up, it comes back and show, shows me small something else, then that's not really very good for me, right? So it's, it depends on, on one Search product, right? What is used? What you're using for search, and how well it can it can actually understand language. Right? Many people search more towards a natural language. Some people, <coughs> text savvy people, know not to use natural language, but some people will just search natural language. Small size shoes. Does it give you small something else? Does it give you only shoes? You know, those are the things that are mostly driven by attributes. Now, there's a lot of tech. Know, behind this that I don't know if you want to go into right now, but um, it's essential to have your attributes set up. I mean, I, I think, Tom, maybe you can give more examples of those. Uh, but that's yeah. my 
So I think the most the the most obvious to to you know consumers would would be the idea of like you said you know small shoes, size and color of shirts or things like that. And then if you look in different industries, you can get into things like okay, well maybe we're buying maybe we're buying bolts for a particular application, and so you need to know what the diameter of the the bolt is and what the thread the thread size is and what the head of the bolt is and and that sort of thing. So those, all all of those sorts of things can be attributes that might might not be relative to every product that's sold online, but are going to be relative to some merchants. Um, and so it's important what, you know, that they know how to set up those attributes and, and it's important that they are on a platform that will, that will accommodate that as well. And I think, I think too, talking about search, that's something that I see a lot more when we're dealing with industrial merchants. Search is extremely important because most of the people that are, that are looking for those products know exactly what they want. And if you have your search dialed in, uh, you know that hey, I want a you know quarter inch, quarter inch diameter, uh, eight inch long bolt or something like that. You can type that in, and if if those attributes, as Ram said, are just right, then that's going to be your first result. I think that actually kind of goes back to like think about what type of site you're actually you know wanting to run for your products, and that's an issue that I see more on the front end than on the back end. So sorry, Hori, taking taking your thunder a little bit, <laughs> but. Um, but a lot of merchants don't, you know, might kind of fall in love with a particular theme or a particular design. And unfortunately, it's just not actually well suited to what their product type is or what their market is. Having the context and the experience of knowing what different types of themes work for different industries is an important step. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's part of his job, though, right? I mean, to recommend the right kind of theme for, for the well, right kind um, of product. So I don't think it, 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 it is. It is, unless they've come to us eight months later and they're and they're asking for support. So, <laughs> well, something you know, for coming from somebody else. Uh, it's something I love to add. I, I tend to look at uh, user experience for e-commerce solutions as um, the opposite side of, or the the similar experience that you would have when going into a physical store. A lot of the feature sets and core feature sets of any e-commerce platform are generally there or are there in place to make the shopping experience uh, more pleasurable and more straightforward. The way you do that is by associating products and categories to one another through uh, attributes, through properties. Coming to the front page of a store or an online store should feel like walking into a store and seeing the products, the, the, the categories and new products that are available is going to be a very similar experience to visual merchandising in a brick and mortar store. Uh, how those items are associated to one another, for example, if you're selling clothing, recommending clothing that would go with it, would all be part of how you set up your inventory, how those attributes are linked to one another. That would be a similar experience to a, uh, a brick and mortar experience where someone says, hey, you know, this goes well with this, or you should try these two things together, or they're in the same place for a reason because they are, are generally supposed to be sold together or they want to try to entice you to look at those products together. I think by uh, properly associating your products uh, through your inventory systems using attributes allows you to do that. But it also kind of gives you a good idea by viewing the data that's being generated by how your users interact with those products and those product pages and those search results. Uh, it gives you an idea of whether or not those attributes are working the way you expect them to, are presenting the additional products and categories the way you would like them to your, to your users. Um, I think all of those things are some of the, the small details about setting up a store and properly setting up your inventory to utilize all the feature sets of uh, an e-commerce platform. Once it's all put together in a way that uh, allows all the products and categories to talk to each other in a, uh, an intelligent way, that's, uh, that's one of the major major you know, hurdles that a new store owner is going to have to overcome. So you, we've, we've talked about attributes. We talked about attributes in the search box. Wouldn't it just be easier to put it all in the navigation so that people can just drill right down to where they need to go? Uh, I want to talk about industrial products that Tom talked about. Yeah. Uh, where you have like a thousand products. So, you know, good luck drilling through that and yeah. getting the product you want. Search is, I mean, if you, if you have few products, search may not be that important. But when you, as your number of products increases, you know, this is something we've seen all the time, like, it's just very difficult. Even if you have categories, you know, your categories end up being so many that people are confused with the categories. So especially when your inventory is large, search is, you know, the way people will go. I mean, I want to go in and say, I want this. In fact, many B2B products, people just want to search by 
item number. They know that already. Right. I mean, and I do think that with the right theme that, you know, you can accommodate at least some industrial uh, uh, merchants relatively well. I mean, we have experience with that. I know on the big commerce side of things, uh, supermarket is a is a go to theme that that we've had good success with and parts warehouse as well. I mean, it's in the name, I think. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I think that depending on the complexity having a good search or even getting to the point of like Ron, like you mentioned, actually having B2B functionality to, to get the customers a step closer um, is a, is a good way to go for those sorts of applications. Yeah. And, and I think Jorge went a little bit into it um, about, you know, to try this with that, right? that we're getting into product recommendations. So that's also another part of, so, you know, also going back a little bit further down to can you build it yourself, right? These are some of the things that uh, a regular owner wouldn't even know to do. Right? Yeah. I mean, can I do this kind of stuff? Even if I had the technical background or whatever, or I knew something about something, many people won't even know that this is a possibility. And, and this is, you know, when you're when you're looking at a search product, many of these products provide automatically recommendations. You know, uh, people also look that, you know, which is kind of like a, a, a social, uh, you know, proof or whatever. And and. Those are the kind of things that you will miss out. And earlier you were talking about, you know, they may be able to do some things and it might just convert if it's an enticing product, et cetera. But what they will miss is they don't know if they're converting to their to the extent possible, right? And until you you do you have people who have done this before, you're thinking, okay, I've got you know X percent conversion, I'm good. But could it be X plus two, right? That's that you would miss too. Right? And, yeah. and that's that's really important to understand that. How far can you go with that? Yeah, so, and we've 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 run into that, like uh, you know, merchants that we've talked to. That's like, you know, I'm not really concerned about mobile on my website. Eighty percent of my traffic comes from desktop. And it's like, right. well, maybe that's because everybody's leaving on mobile because your website needs to be fixed. So, <laughs> yeah. so what are some of the other issues that we've seen come across? You know, especially coming on you know, someone who's already built their store and now they're coming in for support because of issues. What are some of the mistakes that they've made that others could probably learn from? Something I run into quite a bit, any sort of customizations being made to existing themes that aren't really taking advantage of some of the feature sets that already exist on the platform. Um, and this is one of those scenarios where a user may want to uh, add some functionality, uh, or add a feature, and they may find a way to do it online, or they may speak to someone that can give them an idea of how to do it. Uh, but implementing that fun- that functionality or changing a feature may create some inefficiencies on the, in the store or may not utilize some of the pre-existing feature sets that could do that job you know, in a much more straightforward manner and would still provide uh, some of the feedback and some of the data that you would expect from you know, the users that are interacting with those features. I, I think that overall what ends up happening is that there's going to be small details in regards to the optimization of those new features that, uh, that uh, an inexperienced developer, an inexperienced store owner would skip out on. And when it comes to e-commerce, all of that data you generate, all of the, uh, the efficiency that you can have on any uh, facet of your, of, your, of your store should be uh, maximized <laughs> if at all possible. Okay. Uh, especially that goes double for mobile. So I, I think that's something I tend to see a lot. It's just uh, real simple fixes that were done in a way that would ultimately kind of cause a little bit of friction on the user side or create some inefficiencies for how you're displaying Extensions, apps, integrations. Yeah, yeah, apps. Yeah. And yeah, and the problem is, is that it builds and it builds and it builds. Every, every, every new quarter, it's a, it's another coat of paint on top. And eventually, you know, you, you don't know, you don't know where it started from. Um, I think a good analogy is that, you know, we all have smartphones at this point and, you know, we get to that point in our smartphone life cycle where it's like, how do I only have 10% storage left? And then you look and it's like, oh, I have 300 apps installed on my phone <laughs> and I like maybe use seven of them. And, and unfortunately, we have seen the same sort of thing with, uh, with e-commerce websites right. as well. It's a lot easier to, uh, to click install on an app when you think you need it. And then when you don't realize you need it anymore, you, you forget to go and, and click off of it until your marketing uh, team turns around and tells you that you're getting, you know, a 13% on your, on your uh, page speed, uh, page speed score. Right. Yeah. So, well, and, um, and can, is it just as easy as turning it off? I mean, doesn't it leave excess code and things like that? What surely should be, could be cleaned up, right? Some apps 
are, are good at, at cleaning themselves up. Some apps just aren't. And uh, unfortunately, there's probably a good correlation that if you install an app and it doesn't do what you wanted it to do, it's probably also not going to be good at cleaning up after itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh so, yeah. There's also a lot of instances where a plugin or an application that you add to your store does require a little bit of scripts being added to particular pages, footer scripts, header scripts that even when they're not being utilized are still hanging out inside of your markup. They're still hanging out inside of your code base. And those kinds of things still have to make calls. They still you know, do a little bit once those uh, those attempts to reach their own platform are, have failed and they'll kind of go. But that doesn't mean that those uh, those are async are you know are asynchronous calls. They could just be you know taking up time that mm-hmm. your user could be using to connect to load images to load features and whatnot. So um, in those particular instances, my recommendation would always be if, if if a feature is going to be added and you believe that a plugin or an app is going to solve that, um, I would always recommend you know looking into it and making sure that it's not going to create additional overhead for uh, for the users. Because so much of what a store loses comes from card abandonment. It comes from people just from high balance rates. Uh, and so much of that is just long page loads, which can stem from, from too many apps, too many plugins. Maybe those plugins are using large images that you just uploaded to their own image uh, server, uh, making calls to different servers and whatnot. Uh, a lot of these simple solutions have very complicated stuff going on under the hood. And that could add a ton of overhead to the so, users. But what yeah. if someone wants to use large images? What if they need, you know, because of the way that their product is, that they need those high-res, super fine imagery, like fashion? They need the technical expertise to know the best way to load those onto the page. <laughs> yeah, because the, the web provides for that, you know? Like 10, 15 years ago, it was, it was a problem if you wanted to load you know, 30 high-res images on a page, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be waiting for a couple of minutes. Uh, there are tools uh, to do uh, to do that a lot better, to optimize which images are actually loading first and the ones that you're on, the, that are on the top of the page will load directly in, whereas the rest will lazy load, as yeah. they say, or, or load image placeholders to start. All of the platforms that we work with do a little bit for that. Right. Particularly, they're, they're relatively good about the product catalog. But in other places like the home page and uh, other content pages, landing pages, things like that, um, where you're more likely to encounter large images in the first place, also video, this is mm-hmm. doubly true for video, that's a place where you need some technical expertise to know the best way to handle that. So I have a question, Tom. I mean, you, you brought up the cell phone analogy. So I was thinking, you know, if I wanted to go and delete, let's say, my WhatsApp, right? I don't want to delete all the images that came to WhatsApp. That I want to keep. You know, is that is that a scenario in e-commerce as well, where an extension created data that you don't want to get rid of? You can't get rid of, at least not as easily. I can go through all my WhatsApp images and delete all the memes, but that'll take me a long time to do. So is that a case too? Oh yeah, that is definitely the case. And in fact, yeah, there's there's some cases where you, yeah, you could you could be in trouble. You, the core functionality of your website might actually start breaking because it was depending on. Not even just data, but even a class, even a, even a bit of code that was uh, that was, you know, stored into the database. That oh, hey, we're expecting to use this code, and then that code disappears. Um, then then that can break. So that's something that we see more on on hosted solutions on like Magento, because of the separation of concerns on SaaS platforms like BigCommerce and Shopify. It's less common, but yeah, that is a problem. Something that is still a problem even on the SaaS platforms, as uh, Jorge was talking about, is that. If you leave if you leave a, a JavaScript embed or something sitting around, even if you've turned off the app, even if that app has been deleted, even if the server that that app was running on doesn't exist anymore, that's still going to be ca- uh, causing problems. And in fact, if it's giving you a 404 error because it can't find that resource anymore, that actually can cause more of a slowdown. At least in my experience, I've seen more of a slowdown from 404s than from actually being able to load in resources. It can even open you up to security vulnerabilities as well. You know, like say, you know, you don't, uh, if, especially if you don't know if you necessarily trust an application developer, well, say, you know, maybe the assets that they were loading onto your page, maybe their server gets taken over. And then suddenly your page is calling assets from that, from that app that you weren't even using <laughs> that could be doing something nefarious. We've seen that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, all from experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I remember that. <laughs> I think this speaks to the um, a, a scenario that I see happen a lot 
uh, and we generally try to uh, explain to our, our some of the, the companies that we've worked with in the past, they probably are going to specialize in their field. Uh, their, their, their main concern is going to be getting their business running, making sure everything's on point with their brand. It's usually a little bit easier and it's usually quite a bit less stressful to have people that specialize in different facets of e-commerce to attack these, these particular things. You know, um, Even just in this room currently, the knowledge that we have with UX, UI development, front-end development, marketing, digital marketing, every there's different people, different professions for all of these different facets. And in the same way that you wouldn't maybe go to a, a brick-and-mortar store and decide that you're going to install this new countertop, you're going to build all of the display cases, you're going to, you know, you're going to uh, remove the fans and add new fans and new lighting and uh, all of these different things that would help with visual merchandising and maybe help with how you handle your inventory or even more technical you're aspects. You're going to bring someone in to do it. Usually. Yeah, you're going to bring somebody in to do some of that because <laughs> ultimately right. your concern should be standing up the business and, and running the business. Those are all full-time things. And um, I, I think many new business owners are so concerned with having a little bit of access to what's happening with their store and what's going on with their e-commerce uh, installation that they kind of take on a little bit too much responsibility. And in many cases, they just don't have the experience or the knowledge to know what kind of vulnerabilities they can expose themselves to. And more importantly, what kind of things they're leaving on the table, not knowing what these platforms can do and how to utilize them. That's where the expertise of e-commerce uh, professionals tends to really shine because then you don't have to worry about whether or not this, this plugin or this app is going to create tons of problems for your store, or maybe have maybe utilizing some sort of um, it, it unsecured code, or maybe you don't really know how to set up an inventory in a way so that it will have the most impact both for your user base and for the data that you collect that will ultimately fuel the types of campaigns that you end up uh, putting together, the types of email blasts that you send out, and the way you interact with social media. I think once you allow both the platform to utilize as much of its functionality and a group of developers and designers and, and digital marketing experts to help you use all that data to maximize the impact that those stores and you know your campaigns will have, that's when you'll really see the you know the strength of some of these e-commerce platforms. One thing that that Jorge brought up is you know, e-commerce seems simple, but you know it's not easy to get an e-commerce store. You can get it up and running, yes, that's the store, but no one's going to come buy from that. Right? I mean, you can add, run some Facebook ads, you can run this and that you might get inconsistent business. To have a consistent flow of business onto an e-commerce store takes a lot. And that's that's why I was saying you can start off, you know, just to test the waters. But eventually, if you want to run that business as a, a as an as a consistent revenue generating business, then you need help. I mean there's there's no two ways about it. I mean, uh, you know, you can try to save as much as you want, but end of the day that's where you want to go. Well and I would say, you know, based on you know just business owners you know, coming into it. I think a lot of people seem to think that once they have it up and running, it just runs itself. I mean, honestly, I mean, that's a lot of what we see is like, well, I, you know, it's, it's, it's done, right? And, but there's so much upkeep, you know, and from a business owner standpoint, there's more than just decom, like Ron was talking about. Yeah. Like, how do, you, how do you get the business there? And yeah. Yeah. what I like to, you know, what I tell a lot of our, our digital marketing clients is that, you know, we might be able to get them to your site but if we're not helping with your site, I'm not responsible then at that point yeah. if they bounce because yeah. I'm not managing your site. I can give you an insight. I can tell you what you should do on your site. From an ownership standpoint, there's a lot more to it than just paying someone to build your store or building your store yourself and walking away and oh, thinking that you're just yeah. going to make money. And I think that talking about the business side, the ownership side, I think that gets to uh, one of the things that I've seen a lot. We've talked a lot about the dichotomy of do you do you roll your own or do you do you bring somebody in? I think there's the other dichotomy is is businesses that want to think of their e-commerce solely as infrastructure right. instead of as we were talking about um, at at the beginning, one of the core aspects of your brand. And there are ways that you can run it both ways, but you can't flip back and forth. To extend off of Jorge's analogy of a brick and mortar store, it's like maybe you want to start a restaurant. You could start a food truck, and then you don't have to worry about the cost of you know getting a building built and having inspections and all that stuff. But you also there's going to be things that you don't have with a food truck. You can be more you know more agile and everything like that, but you don't have a dining area. You don't you know you don't have these things 
you don't have a a known presence that people can go to. Right. Um, and I think likewise, we see we have worked with um, merchants, and a lot of times when uh, when maybe business ownership changes or when a different VP comes in or something like that, they're like, oh, we're spending too much effort on the on the website. We need to roll that back. And then you know they come back to us, you know, six months, nine months later, and wonder, well, why aren't we converting? You know, like what we've we've put so much. We've seen we've seen some situations where maybe the e-commerce budget was two percent of the marketing budget. Yeah. And then they come back and wonder why why is this not converting? And it's yeah. for exactly what, you right. know. I mean, they have you, tons you of saying. traffic coming to the site, but people are bouncing. Uh, yep. I I believe that one of the major aspects of, of this that I find fascinating is that you'll have lots of new business owners that um, maybe don't look at their uh, online shop as a large enough aspect of their business to really invest time and effort into it. Each, a, 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 an online store like any, any successful business is generally measured through its, uh, through its ability to grow exponentially. So if you have like a brick and mortar store, as that store and that brand does better, you have more and more stores. That's not generally how the e-commerce solution is going to work. Mm-hmm. What you're going to want is you're going to keep on adding feature sets, making the site more easy to or easier to to utilize, to use, to right. uh, to have more members of your team handling uh, admin administrative aspects of it. Maybe going through and adding pages, adding landing pages. You're going to have a larger marketing team that's going to be creating large email blasts. And I think what ends up happening is you start seeing how you can utilize all of the aspects of that of that e-commerce store to do what brick and mortar stores can't, and that is have contact with your user base after they leave the store. You know, you're going to be t- you're going to yeah. be in, in touch with them via Twitter. You're going to be in touch with them via blog posts. You're going to be in touch with them via any sort of social media. Anytime you have a newsletter, anytime you have sales, you can reach out to those users. You know, directly. But, and this is something that you can't really have with those brick and mortar but stores. That also and brings think- me to another point, Jorge, where we see a lot of people that they may do all of those things. But the content, whether it be on the digital mm-hmm. marketing side or on their store side, is, is severely lacking. Now, if yeah. you drive someone to a product page and they get to the product page and there's very little information or maybe there's too much information, yeah. they, they're going to bounce. So they may yeah, have absolutely. wanted that product, but then they get there and they're like, well, I don't, I can't, I don't have the answer to this, this, or this, or, oh, my God, there's so much stuff here. I don't want to read this. And they just, right. they leave. You know, and I think that's where, you know, I see, you know, from the digital marketing side um, and the operation side is where I see most business owners really struggling is is that content side. Yeah, I I think that really speaks to how the different the different professions that make up e-commerce have to interact with one another. So you might have somebody who puts together these incredible campaigns and they use the data that's at their hands to to you know, reach out to all these users. But once they get to these landing pages, perhaps the content there is not following uh, proper user flows that are going to promote conversion. So it, it is really important that a store owner has the type of assistance from a digital marketing expert, from an e-commerce designer, and from engineers who understand how to set up those those quick one-page shots and, and make sure that those URLs are, are, are URLs that are going to be set up correctly, that these, these new pages are efficient and are, are looking good on different devices. Um, and of course, that the data that from the back end, from your store is being imported correctly to these new, to these new campaigns. It, it takes a lot of different team members working together yeah. to make this stuff happen. And you can definitely see it break down in specific facets of that, for sure. So we, we, we've talked a lot about the tech and the things that people shouldn't do. What about beyond tech? I mean, you build the site. And now you got to get it there. You got to get your product there. You know, how do you, how do, you do that? I mean, what do business owners miss when they're thinking about just putting their site together? Now, I was going to go to the same thing with Jorge and everybody was saying about even before you reach back out to customers on social media or anything else after a purchase, there's one chance you have to keep them happy by delivering the product on time right. and in proper shape and all of that. Right. So that's, that's definitely not what you're talking about. How do you right. deliver that product? How do you fulfill it? It's it's very important. And then one thing, you know, I know that there's a lot of technology and there's a lot of other things around it, experience, et cetera. But one thing I will say from what I've seen from business people is that sometimes it's an afterthought. Right? Yep. So when you're a brick and mortar, you just give the guy the product and right. you're done. <laughs> 
And you started, like Tom said earlier, by going to the post office and getting some flat rate boxes and then shipping them out if your product suits that. But you'll soon run out of being able to do that, right? If you if your e-commerce is even moderately or, or even slightly successful, that's mm-hmm. just going to be very difficult. Right? So well, then fulfillment really becomes a... Yep. a and, and not only is it the action of fulfillment, it's also the cost, right? Yeah. So uh, how do you do it in a cost-effective manner that I've seen many people who stop selling a certain product because it's just not cost-effective to ship, right? I mean, you can't sell a $2 product online as one and then expect that you can ship it with free shipping, which obviously everybody wants free shipping. No one wants to pay for shipping. I mean, I know people who would buy a $5,000 product but don't want to pay $20 for shipping. Like yeah. I won't well, pay $20. <laughs> and that, that just, you know, that goes back to, you know, the cost of ownership. So, you know, it's more than just, you know, building a website. An owner needs to think holistically about their business, not right. just their website. So, you know, there's the, the befores, the durings, the afters, fulfillment. You know, how am I going to manage my money? You know, how am I going to run my reports? You know, all of those things that I think we end up, I would say three quarters through a build, start getting those types of questions or are being told, you know, oh, okay, well, we need to use XYZ to ship. And we're like, okay, well, that's going to require a whole new set of rules. You know, so those are the types of things that I think are probably the biggest mistakes that I see business owners make is not thinking it through before just jumping in and building a site. I mean, it, it even impacts the product mix, right? Like I was mm-hmm. saying earlier, there are people who, uh, you know, sometimes you only you only ship um, some of the larger items or, or, a, or a bundled product online for, to your own store and, and you can ship the single items. You know, if you want to buy this online and make it viable for me to ship it to you, you've got to buy 10. And that's the only right. way I can sell it. Or, or I will only sell certain products online. Certain or dropship. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've seen a lot of dropship. Think about dropshipping too, another option. But all of that is a shipping cost associated with every one of those. So you've got to figure out what are you going to sell you know, in the beginning. If you try that later on, then you made all this investment into this. And there's also a people aspect too, right? The guy who recommended going online now is on the hook to yeah. make it work, right? So, <laughs> So he'd be like, you know, I'm going to put everything. Shipping is not my fault. <laughs> right. So it's really important you think through that whole thing before you start. I mean, I, I was saying, well, you know, the first question is we asked is why is it important to have a, an e-commerce site? Maybe we should also talk about when you should not have an e-commerce site, or at least not for all of your products. At least not not have that ex- expectation that I'll take my entire store and put it on there, or my entire warehouse and put it on Or at least not yet. You know, like oh, you have you have ten thousand SKUs in your in your product catalog, and you don't have an ERP. Maybe maybe let's talk again in a year. You know, (laughs) you know, or or at least just you know, the business owner comes to with you know my list of I have this and this and this and this and this, and that's when the consultant can come in and say this is what you're going to need. And at that point, a business owner can look at the total cost and go, oh. I'm not there yet, you know, and and make decisions based on not just the cost of building the site, but everything else associated with it. As I said, you know, we can say, you know, we'll build your site, you know, sure. You know, we'll be, we'll be your developer, but as a business, that's not how we run. You know, we, we want to consult, you know, I don't use the word partner because I'm not your partner in this. I am your consultant in this. I am your your guru for questions. And, you know, I think that, that most business owners need to kind of approach anything like that, whether it's with Atmosol or, you know, the, a 3PL or Avalar for their taxes. You know, yeah. have yeah. everything lined up and ready and have those questions and don't pull the trigger until you have it all set and you know what it is that you're looking at. You know. yeah, it, it, it's especially true for, I mean, uh, like I was talking about earlier, physical products in a store mm-hmm. going online, at least they have a store. They have a, they have inventory there. Right. Now, if you think about people who are doing more on the retailer side, like, you know, who are, who are selling through department stores and things like that, 
they and if you're doing drop shipping to them or shipping direct to them they don't even have the warehouses or the logistics or anything to to even do that so you now have to have warehouses you know, if you're a larger store like you know we've had somebody who came to us who sells through a kroger or something like that they have one shipment that goes to kroger kroger manages everything else um even sell it online now now is the point when you're thinking about okay now i need a 3pl to store inventory in different locations i have no capability to ship from my warehouse in you know wherever to california right and shipping all the time from here is just not possible and that's where um, the 3pls come in you know, fulfillment amazon another 3pl in, in essence also comes in and those are things you can plan out too those are options you have to see if that can make your your direct to consumer in some cases or your uh, e-commerce work taking it to fulfillment and other things what are some of the problems that we've seen like with integrations cuz you know maybe some people come to us and it's already built and you know now they're jumping from one platform to the other and maybe the due diligence wasn't done in knowing that that particular integration that they were already using doesn't work with that platform. I mean, what what's the implications there? What's the fallout there that we see a lot of? I mean, at worst, you might you might have to change you know change what you're using for fulfillment. Sometimes that's taken merchants by surprise. Um, even even despite our our best efforts to try to get that information, uh, and sometimes it's it's a known uh, a known thing. Uh, we'll see this with uh, with fulfillment. We'll also see it with um, payment methods too, right. um, which for a lot of merchants is not a huge deal, but for some merchants that's super critical. There's probably a bigger issue for merchants that have been doing kind of business as usual, maybe even on an, uh, on a previous e-commerce store for a while, that they they're taking their entire operations for granted. They're mm-hmm. they're not thinking about what goes into it, um, and so we'll ask, and it's like, okay. You only use UPS and FedEx for shipping. Like you're sure that's all that you use, <laughs> and and they'll say yeah, and it's like you don't use you know you know freight or or LTL or anything like that. And they'll say sure, and then they'll but they'll have a different word in their head for it, and they'll get they'll yeah. get you know ninety percent through the project and go oh how are we going to handle handle this sort of thing right? Um, so like like if you're doing it yourself, you've got a lot of questions to ask yourself if you're doing a replatform or building a new platform. If you're working with a consultant on a on a replatform or building something new, really listen to the questions um, because our our goal is to our goal is to have those to find those hard problems at the beginning, right? Right. Um, so there's no surprises. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even integrations, other integrations. You talked about um, you know fulfillment and uh, and about payments, but even to your ERP, even to other system accounting. I mean. Mm-hmm. You may be able to do without it, right? Sometimes people say, you know what, well, I'm just going to do double entry. Take it from here and put it there. Take it from here and put it there, right? It's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the short term, it is possible. But having that plan in place and rather than realizing it after the store launches, oh, how do I get this from here to there is also what a consultant does because it's not easy. And I would say this again, that people think it's just, I can just run up a Shopify store and be up and running. No, it's just, there's, I mean, very small businesses maybe, but as you a little larger, there is a lot of things that have to happen that that you might not even think about in the beginning, which is why, you know, and I mean, it looks like I'm selling our company or, you know, selling ourselves by saying, hey, get a consultant. It's not that. It's just that <laughs> there's there's definitely going to be things that you miss that, you know, a consultant will, you know, the, the, whatever you pay that consultant will, will definitely pay for himself or herself. So that's, uh, I, I don't want to conclude with that, but you know, that's, <laughs> Really, a plan is necessary <laughs> across the thing. I think that's what we should conclude with. It. No, at least I will. Is that think of every aspect of it. That's what we've been talking about. All of the things that we spoke about. You need to have a plan around everything. You know, mm-hmm. and and if you know how to do that, you can get input from specific people into into doing that, and that's great. You can build your own plan. It's not it's not not possible, but definitely ask those questions in every area that we discuss about, and at least I hope this. This podcast will help some people at least look at all the things that you need to look at and, and put that into an Excel sheet and say, hey, who knows this stuff? You know, let me ask somebody who's responsible for this to tell me how you can do this, right? right. At least that level of planning uh, would be great. Right. Well, and, and I think, you know, uh, something too is if someone's looking at replatforming, um, make a list of all of the problems that you ran across on your current platform. 
because either you're going to have those same problems because it's less about a platform and the technology, or you're going to find that the platform you're going to is going to fix the problem or it's going to make it worse. But, you know, coming to the table with, you know, I had problems with this and this and this and this, that's, that's where a consultant's going to be able to tell you whether or not the platforms you're looking at are, are going to be even moderately helpful, you know, or, you know, that, you know, it's more about, you know, you're the way your, your business is set up and less about the infrastructure of the, the, the technology you're using. Beyond, you know, making a list of everything that you need to do to run your business is if you're replatforming, make a list of everything that caused you problems, yep. you know, and ask about those things. Sometimes it's implementation too. You know, we, we've talked to people too that they're, they're going, oh, we want to replatform because of A, B, C, and D. And we're like, the platform you're on actually should do all of those things relatively well. And which might make it easier when we get to that point of that conversation. So, and, and I think that kind of speaks to the uh, to the idea of making sure that the people you're working with are going to be able to tell you that. Uh, sometimes you know you may have teams that would just recommend a replatform without really looking into it. But when you have uh, e-commerce experts, they they might have some uh, some knowledge of uh, feature sets that you might not be utilizing that could help you know, solve these problems or just a good, a good enough understanding of the platform to make sure that you get back to a, to a situation where it's fulfilling the needs of your business. Well, I, I think this is close to wrap up. So I just want to appreciate everybody's time today and, and thank you for, for joining us and sharing your wisdom. But considering we were all from Atmosol, <laughs> the uh, easiest way to get a hold of us is either call us you know, or you can email us. Um, and uh, of course, you know, if you're coming through the podcast, you know, all of our information will be there. Um, but if someone has specific questions, say on the technical side of it, um, they would probably want to reach out to Tom, business consultant, those types of things. Rom is going to be your best bet. And I'm pretty much a catch-all. So if you just look for someone and you can get a hold of me and, and I'll help you on the path forward. So um, again, I want to thank you all for your time. And um, we hope that any of you listening to this now or later, that you walked away with some information that might help you in your journey. And if you have more questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Or if it's not us, work with another consultant. Thank you. Thank you for listening to e-commerce insights presented by Atmosol. We hope you have learned something new or took a nugget of information away to help you as you travel the world of e-commerce. Until next time, keep asking questions, evolving your business, and learn every day.